Amen. Good morning, church. One of the lyrics that we just sang is, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, you never stop working. I've been uh, teaching my daughter uh, how to drive. And she's, she's my youngest. And part of teaching uh, someone how to drive is not only them being behind the wheel, but often when I'm driving, I'm explaining to her all that is going on, all that's going on in my mind, and all that I'm doing that she can't necessarily see. And in other words, when, when I'm driving down the road and I'm approaching a hill, I'm letting her know what I'm doing now is accelerating to maintain the, the right speed. Uh, do you notice that at the top of the hill, you cannot see what is on the other side? So because you can't see what's on the other side, you want to slow down because you can anticipate nothing being there, get to the other side, and something be right there in the road. I'm explaining to her how I'm not going from uh, gas to brake and gas to brake, but there are times when you just allow the car to coast and maintain. Um, some of you guys probably need to, to know that. I hate driving behind someone that every minute there's like, there's no one in front of them and they're hitting their brake and it's, just let your car roll. That's just a sidebar. That's for someone here this morning. But uh, even when we're, we're coming around a turn and we can't see around that turn or when I'm lightly applying the brake from the passenger seat or in the back of the car, you can't see those things. And in the same way, we're moving down the road of life, and God is doing all kind of things that we can't necessarily see. But one of the things that we can see that sometimes we're not aware of are even the signs that are all over the place. In other words, when you're sitting in the passenger seat, you're not paying attention to a sign that has a curve letting you know, hey, a turn is coming up and you're going to be banking to the right. Or, or you may not see an exit sign off the highway saying 25 miles an hour. If you take that turn at 60, there's going to be a problem when you start to exit that road. We have to be aware of those things. And even sometimes there are signs that we don't pay attention to because it doesn't apply to us. It may apply to someone like Rich who drives a truck where it says, put your truck in a lower gear because you will be going downhill for a while and you need the engine to even hold you back from speeding up. Some of you guys might be thinking, I never even saw a sign like that. I've been driving for 20 years. The point is, God is always at work, just like we sang. But we can't always see it. But if we pay close enough attention, we will always see 
little bits of his providential care and his sovereignty over all things. We need to be trained to be aware of those things in the same way that I'm showing my daughter things that she may have never seen before because she is going to start being behind the wheel of a car. This morning's sermon is called The Hand of the Lord Has Gone Out Against Me? Question mark. That is a verse in Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first chapter of the book of Ruth, and we'll be reading out of the ESV this morning. We're still in our series, All Up in Your Feelings. So if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in Ruth chapter 1, and it reads this way. In the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of their two sons was Malon and Chilon. They were Ethrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Noemi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And Malon and Chilon died so that the woman were left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Noemi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each one to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And she said to her, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Noemi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way for I am too old to have a husband. If I, should have, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Noemi saw that she had determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Noemi? She said to them, do not call me Noemi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Noemi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Noemi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these stories in your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you teach us who you are as we read how you've interacted with those in the history book of your word, Lord, and the love story that you've written to your people, Lord. We ask that we would be able to grasp nuggets, Lord, for our daily bread that we so desperately need. You know what's going on in every condition, every situation, every person's heart, Lord. And you know the nourishment they need for this day. Would you grant us all that in the precious name of Jesus? Amen and amen. You may be seated. So often uh, people uh, read this story uh, and, and they view it as a love story, which it is. Um, and, and some women who desire to marry say, uh, where's my Boaz and, and, and things like that. But this so story, uh, above it being a love story, uh, shows the sovereignty of almighty God. It shows his supreme power. It shows his authority in every single place in the earth and above the earth. The setting of this story is in the days of the judges, which was about a 400-year period after God had brought Israel into the promised land. They went into the promised land with, with um, Joshua, and, and then uh, they, once he died, uh, the scriptures tell us that in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It sounds like a good idea. Sounds like, hey, everyone has freedom. That never works out well. Nor did it work out well for them. 
And you find this right after God had fulfilled his promise of bringing them into the promised land. The next thing that we see in the story is that there is a famine. So we have to ask ourselves the question, where do famines come from? Well, famines come from the Lord, especially in this situation in the time of judges. A family a famine was often the evidence of discipline that God's people had sinned against them and he needed to get their attention. Throughout the time of the judges, there, there was a cycle that uh, continued, and, and sometimes we can even see that in our own lives. There was a cycle of sin, and there was then a time of, of discipline or even judgment. And after uh, that happens and we get our minds right and they got their minds right, what would they do? They would repent. And, and after they repented and returned back to the Lord, uh, the Lord being good to his children, to his people, there's restoration. And from restoration, there always comes blessings. But human nature would have it, and we have evidence in our own lives when we're blessed and we have a continuum of blessing for a while, uh, we often mess up again. And that cycle repeats itself. So in this story, uh, this is what has taken place. And there being a famine in the land, when you translate the, the uh, name Bethlehem, Bethlehem means the house of bread. And uh, you find a family, a man, that says, I'm going to take my family out of this situation and I'm going to bring them to greener pastures. So they sojourn to the country of Moab. Sojourn means uh, we plan to spend some time there, not that this is going to be our permanent residence. In the same way, we are sojourners here. Uh, it is not for you to set up shop as if you're never going anyplace but here. In the same way as they went off to uh, this foreign country, they um, did not plan to stay there, but this man took his wife and his two sons. And when he took them, what was he doing? He was departing from the promised land. He was departing from the promised land, and he was taking steps in the wrong direction not only for himself, but leading his family there into enemy territory. He was majoring on what was happening physically and not paying much attention to what was happening spiritually. Sometimes we can get um, so inundated with what is going on around us naturally that we misstep and not pay attention to those signs that are there and look at what is happening spiritually. We sometimes think that we can move away from our problems, but we find that wherever we go, we bring our problems right along 
with us because wherever we go, we bring ourselves there. One thing we know and we found out in life is that we can't control circumstances in life. We don't have the power to do that, but we can control our response to circumstances. No matter how difficult circumstances get, the safest place for the Christian to be is in the will of God. Because that's true, we are always to seek his face. What is your will? It seemed like he did the pragmatic thing. There's no food here. There's food over there. I'm leaving here. I'm going over there. We got to eat. We don't want to die. Makes sense. But did he consult the Lord? Um, did he make a decision just based on what he saw before him? The story doesn't really tell us, but just going by the fact that Moab were, was a people that they were not to interact with like the other foreign nations, and one of the things of the ancient Near East was they believed that gods had territories. That that's why you hear stories when they say, hey, we keep getting defeated by Israel on the mountaintop. Why don't we fight him in the valley? Maybe he's not the God of the valley. But they had a mindset that uh, over this territory, this God is in control. They moved out of where they were and went to a foreign place. And maybe they were going to eat and have physical sustenance, but there's always more to it than that. There are always going to be other things when you move from one place to another that you're going to digest. So they find themselves in this place. And what happens? What happens is the father dies. The father dies and the two sons take wives and, and they take wives from Moab. Again, something that was against the law of God. And it so happened that both of those men died. So now, this older woman, woman finds herself with two daughter-in-laws, and they're all widows. That was a, a hard thing to be, uh, at that time because you're basically at the mercy of people's generosity. You, you had no real protection. You could be taken advantage of, and now you found yourself in a situation. That's why they had things in place to try to uh, protect when those things happened. And one of those things that they had in place was if a woman's husband dies, the brother of that husband would marry her to care for her, even give her a child so that his name, the dead brothers, could live on. We, we, we know that to be true, and even here in the story, she says, listen, uh, as we've been walking and, and leaving this place, I know I got to leave here because of my condition 
You, you ladies turn back. You, you turn back um, because there's no way that I'm going to have a son that's going to be able to provide for your needs one day. One of the things that she also said when she said turn back, she said turn back to your people, turn back to your gods. I wonder what place she was in spiritually that the years of being disconnected from Israel and her people uh, that she would come to a place to not even have a sensitivity to the fact that not only are you telling them to go back, which again is pragmatic, it makes sense. What am I going to do for you? Look what has happened to my life. But also, that's a spiritual death sentence for them to go back to their people and to their gods. So she finds out in God's providence that food has returned to Bethlehem. So she's making her way back. And her one daughter-in-law turns around and goes back to her people, but the other daughter-in-law says clung to her. And said, no, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Matter of fact, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, that's where I'm going to die and be buried. And let me be cursed if I don't follow through with what I just said to you. We, we also see that Noemi pronounces a blessing, which is mixed message, on her daughters when her laws when she tells them to go back, but even speaks so negatively about her condition and what God has done in her life. When we uh, see this, uh, she says, "For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord." has gone out against me. The question is, does the Lord's hand ever go out against his children? Well, that's almost like asking the question, uh, does a parent ever spank their child? Some do, some don't, some should, some won't. But the answer to that question is, yes, the hand of the Lord goes out against his people, but, but not to harm them, not to curse them, only to correct them. The story goes on where they start on their way. And even uh, that journey was about a 50-mile journey. That road was a dangerous road. It was even dangerous for those women to make that trek on their own. But they did, and God provided for them to get there safely. And when Naomi reaches her people, she says, don't call me by my former name. Naomi means pleasant. That's what that name means. She says, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. So she's saying, call me the opposite of the name that was given to me. 
Um, that, that name came from uh, when Israel was going through the desert and they came across some water and the water was bitter. And then the Lord made that water uh, sweet. But to be bitter is, is someone who is angry or someone that is unhappy um, because they cannot forget things that have happened to them in their past. And, and we can't really downplay that because pain is real and, and suffering is real. But for God's people, we should never become bitter. When, when we do go through pain and when we go through suffering as believers, one of the things that it always does, it, it, it has us um, check our theology. What, what, what do I mean by that? Oh, sometimes we believe, as believers, things are all supposed to be all good all the time. Sometimes we can identify uh, when something is happening in our lives that we caused, and we're just kind of like, okay, um, God is correcting me here. Other times... One thing after another, after another, after another inundates our lives. And we start to step back and say, God, do you see what's happening to me? I'm serving you. I love you. I'm looking to do the right things. I'm petitioning you. And these things don't seem to stop that always brings us to a place where we start to wonder, like, God, maybe what I thought about you is off, is not accurate. And that could be, and that could be in a bad way, and that could also be in, in a right way. Because even as believers, sometimes when we witness to others, we, we build this package for them, making them believe and even teaching in a way that, hey, if you want your life to improve, attach Jesus to it. That's wrong. God says he'd never leave us and forsake us. But he also said, in this world, you will have trouble. But don't sweat that because I've overcome the world. He, 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 he says to us, hey, hey, these things you will go through, but these light and momentary afflictions won't compare to what's going to happen in glory. We know that he uses these things for our good. But sometimes when we're in the midst of it, and it's one thing after another, it's like God. Where are you and, and what are you doing? And she's come to this place where she even wants to change her name for it to identify with her present condition. Wow. Don't do that. It's always something that happens and, and we have to remember the origin of what took place. First off, in this situation, they ran away from God into enemy 
territory. And now deception would have it where she tries to almost hide like her mistakes in the decisions that took place. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just, hey, these things just keep happening. But we can't even view what happened in her life as punishment. No, no, no. The sovereign hand of God is always at work. And even and for the believer, even when we make mistakes, God works for good even in our bad decisions. Which is not encouraging you to go out and make bad decisions. I, I always have to qualify those kind of statements. But we need to ask ourselves, how do we see God? How is it that she saw God, that she would change her name, declare to unbelievers and believers alike, the hand of God has come against me? The way we must see God is in his true light, that he is with us and that he is for us. We, we read that they enter Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. That in itself is the grace of God. Not only does it show that there was provision there, but it's a celebration when it's harvest season. So even her coming back home, there is a party going on, and there is provision there. And as the story plays itself out, we see God's hand of providence all the way through the situation, where Ruth, her daughter-in-law, ends up in Boaz's field. It's not a dink. That's God's providential care. The fact that from the beginning, he would have an eye for her and then end up marrying her. In Ruth chapter 4, the story ends this way. Before I even read it, sometimes what we have to do is jump chapters to the end of the story in our lives to encourage us in the place that we're in today, to remind us that all of God's plans will come to fruition, to remind us that whatever we're going through today, the bigger picture and what he has in mind and when those things are going to be exposed, then we look back at what we hardly remember in the pain that we were in over there and say, wow, God, I've seen your hand and what you've done. Always jump ahead to this is what I'm destined for as a child of God. Always look back at the evidence from the cross and what God did to say what he did verifies where I'm going so right where I'm at I can rest assured and have confidence. 
Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 13, reads this way. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Now, let me just stop there. You might say, well, why weren't those guys able to marry her, and now he is? Remember what she said. She said, my God, wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. Like all of us, for the one that has an intersection with the Lord and accepts his free gift of grace, you're now in his family. So Ruth, if you know the story, Boaz said, I heard of who you are and what you've done. So the text says, so Boaz took Ruth as, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Noemi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Noemi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Noemi. They named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You can come up, Heather. The line of David, the greatest king in Israel, the ancestor of the Lord. It's where he would be born in that line. We ask ourselves, where is God when tragedy after tragedy attacks our faith? He's right here. Know this, Christian. Life is a series of new beginnings. It's never too late to start over. God will always see it through. When do we ever stop and watching a movie and when we get to the climax of the movie, when the roughest part is going on, we cut it off and say, this was a terrible show. No, we always have a great anticipation that in the end, it's going to work out all right. 
Well, that's not always the case for everything on this earth. But for the children of God, you can rest assured Life is a series of new beginnings and it's never too late to start over again. In the midst of whatever it is that we're going through, just like I'm starting to help Gloria to identify all of these signs that she's driving down the road, which is going to aid her to get to safety with a confidence and a surety, we have to look for these signs that are there, that God is in every single situation, in the midst of her pain. She changed her name to Bitter. Don't do that. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's challenging. Could be going on for a long time. But she was given the name Noemi for a reason. Pleasant. Stand firm, knowing that the Lord is there, that he sees, that he's given you strength for the day. And for us, just like for her, with all that she went through, she received a daughter-in-law that was more precious than seven sons. This widow is in the lineage of David. When you read the genealogy of Mary and Joseph, her name comes up. Wow. Somebody that went off track and made a mistake a ways back with her husband and with her sons, and we can't call that the reason why they died there. But in God's providential care, he was doing a work all the way through for something much bigger than let's avoid this famine. Would you stand, family, so I could pray for you? Father, so many of us are in the midst of storms may have even grown bitter. Give us freedom, Lord. Give us joy. Give us confidence, Lord. In the midst of the storm, let us fast forward in our Rolodex and remember you've called us the overcomers more than conquerors. You're bringing us from glory to glory, Lord. You've made promises and you keep them all. 
that we would walk in that, Lord. No matter where we find ourselves this day, on the mountaintop or in the valley. She could not even comprehend what you were going to do in her life. She, she went on to glory not even knowing who David and Solomon and all the rest were going to be all the way up to Jesus, the King of Kings. How glorious. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that our story is already written in the heavens. We are seated with you right now, Lord. And as we sojourn, as we tarry here for a little while, Lord, let us have great joy as we see glimpses of your glory, O oh God. Let us not waver, but recognize we're standing on the rock. This story talks about a redeemer. We have the great redeemer, Jesus Christ, who rescued us. should bring about such joy, such praise, a peace in the center of it all, Lord. Would you do that this day, Lord, strengthening those, encouraging those, being the lifter of the head that you are, Letting them know they stand on a firm foundation. That you won't allow their foot to slip. For the one that made a wrong turn, would you turn them back? Would you draw them near? We thank you, Lord, for your renewed mercies daily, Lord. Let us live in that place, Lord. Pray for the one that doesn't know you, Lord. Just like you grafted in Ruth. As they come to an intersection to ask themselves the question, who is Christ? Is the one who came down off his throne into his creation and died for my sin and yours. Speaking to your heart, saying, repent, lay your burdens down, come to the cross, accept my free gift of salvation. My blood was spilled for you suffered on your behalf. I died to bury your sins as you come. I rose on the third day. I ascended to heaven. I sit at the right hand of power 
interceding, preparing a place, calling you. Come. Sinner, lay it down. Ask for forgiveness and receive the free gift of grace. Exchanging your filthy rags for his righteousness. Do that this day. Thank you, Lord. What you've done in the heart. The one that was a sinner and has been cleaned. For us that were sinners and now are saints. Because you say so. Let us walk in victory, Lord. Proclaiming your goodness in our lives. Calling our name pleasant because we walk with the king. Being confident that you who started a good work in each and every one of your children will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering.